Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. Welcome everyone to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're glad to be with you on this Tuesday afternoon. For some of you, it's still Tuesday morning if you're on the uh, West Coast or you're over in Hawaii listening to us. We do have people listening to us all around the world. We're glad you're on the show with us. We're going to be talking about advanced automation today and things like robots and cobots. If you haven't heard of cobots, you'll hear about that today. But before we get to that subject, we will be talking with uh, Lou Weiss, who is the uh, president of All Metals and Forge Group and sponsor for uh, our show, Manufacturing Talk Radio. Lou, how are you today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm back Good. two days after vacation, and I'm not whipped to death yet. So yeah, you I'm actually showed things. up. That's impressive. I did. I did. I came back. They dragged me back. You know that line, they wouldn't let me go. They dragged me back. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, so it's a good uh, good Tuesday. I, I got a couple of points I want to bring to our uh, listeners. Uh, Our last week's show was with uh, Cliff Wallman, Director of Economic Studies at MAPI, Manufacturers Alliance for Productivity and Innovation. Uh, He had given us reports from uh, around the world, economic reports uh, similar similar to uh, purchasing manager reports, and uh, he gave us the good, the bad, the ugly on the U.S. economy, and global economies. And if you have a strong stomach, I suggest that you go to mfgtalkradio.com and listen to that show. Um, it's uh, it's enlightening and uh, may make you a little bit more aware about what the rest of this year is going to, going to uh, look like. Um, as far as uh, new news, and I know I can't use the term new rules because that belongs to somebody else, so I won't use that. Uh, <laughs> we do have a couple of news items. Um, OSHA, our favorite government agency, uh, has uh, kind of finalized the language on a controversial new rule that not only uh, requires that injury reports at manufacturing facilities be submitted electronically, they also want to make them as public records. Now, I don't know a lot about law. I barely know a lot about forgings, and I know almost nothing about radios. But I do know that lawyers will be going to that public record looking for ambulance cases to sue companies and target companies because these injury reports will wind up being a matter of public record. What is wrong with these people? I mean, Tim, you're a wise gentleman. What's wrong with our government? We we have a new segment coming up for our listeners called the Federal Folly. Yes. And this yes. is one of them. This, maybe this, this should be add, number one. This may launch it. Uh, this is going to add to the $35,000 a year that every business spends minimally meeting federal 
regulations. This is colossal stupidity. Okay, well, here's another one for follies number two. General Motors adds hundreds of new engineering jobs to their role. In Canada, they think Canada is part of the United States, and they think this is okay? Well, Prime Minister Trudeau thinks it's okay. He congratulates General Motors for doing this. So they now have five plants in Canada hiring Americans, uh, engineer types, hiring them away, putting them up in nice Canada. They do have nice people there. They do. This I could tell you, as somebody, some politician would tell you. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're still losing jobs. They still haven't gotten the message, our, our folks in Washington, that tax reform is the only way to end this depletion of jobs in this country. And uh, further to that, uh, I understand this is a Tim number. I don't know if this is true or not. Tim told me yesterday that $7 trillion is U.S. profits stored <laughs> offshore in banks. And it would cost 40% to repatriate those dollars, so why do it? Unless, of course, the guys in Washington said, hey, we might be better off adding $7 trillion to our economy and don't worry about the tax. Well, that's it, folks. That's folly, federal follies number two for the day. <laughs> and on that basis, uh, Tim, uh, it's back to you. Yeah, we'll choke on the trillions that they've got parked offshore. And that, those are just corporate trillions. If you look at the, the wealthy, they also have more trillions parked offshore. So, But let's get to uh, talking about robots and cobots. I know there's this uh, knee-jerk reaction that robots are going to replace us all. We're all going to be sitting on uh, rusty lawn chairs watching the grass grow because robots will have taken our jobs. I'm not sure that's going to be the outcome, but let's talk with Jeff Bernstein, President of the Association of Advancing Automation. Jeff, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. We appreciate you being on here and maybe give some comfort to some of our listeners. Uh, give us a little idea of what the Association for Advancing Automation is, and uh, then we'll get into some of these points on robotics. Sure. Well, we're a trade group, and uh, what we try and do is educate companies, particularly small and medium-sized companies, on how automation can help them grow their business and save and create uh, good, high-paying, safe jobs in America. Well, that's a, that's a succinct elevator pitch and a pretty good one. Uh, it certainly is uh, great to hear that. And, and I have to point out, Lou and I talked about this frequently, um, the automobile industry. When Henry Ford invented the moving assembly line, everybody went, oh, all the workers are going to be out of work. Well, this year we're going to produce over 17 million cars, mm -hmm. and I think it takes a few more workers than it took in 1910. Right. <laughs> so, well, I mean, this is, ahead, this is true in a lot of industries, right? I mean, to create the food that we have, it used to be, what, 90% of the people were farmers, and now yeah. we're getting more food than that with 3% of the people working on farms. So there's been a lot of advances in a number of industries that have – not destroyed jobs, but actually have created new ones and more interesting ones. I think the only ones who are, I think the only ones who are really uh, fearful of job loss are 
perhaps the older uh, generation who they feel as though that they are beyond retraining um, into a new profession. Um, and the government certainly doesn't uh, help in that regard. So uh, I came up with a thought a couple of days ago, uh, and I'm just curious at what your thought on this might be, that perhaps the uh, retraining of employees because of potential loss of jobs to robots is that perhaps the, the state governments, the governors, should be the ones to promote uh, new jobs and they're making deals on moving companies around the country into their area, giving them tax incentives and so on and so forth. And that perhaps it's, these really should be state issues, not federal. Federal, uh, they can't do anything. Well, uh, you know, without getting into whether or not somebody should be doing something, we first let's see if there's a problem. I mean, the, the problem that we face and the real threat to jobs in America is when companies can't compete anymore. And so what you see is that um, manufacturing in particular has been hard hit by offshoring. And the Chinese want to hold on to those manufacturing jobs that they won in uh, Korea and all the other countries who are competing with us. If, if our companies can't compete, that's when the jobs are lost. So it's not a matter of um, whether a company is losing a job because a piece of automation or a robot is doing it, it's can they stay in business and keep the jobs that they have even? And what we're finding is more and more companies in America are turning to automation as a way of competing. Increasing productivity and uh, less downtime, and they can produce when the lights are turned out, and all of those things aid to to your point. Yeah, and another uh, big issue is that there are a lot of companies who hire people to do jobs that people really don't want to do. They're dull, they're dirty, they're dangerous, they're repetitive, and you get people to do the jobs for a while, and then they realize, you know what, I don't want to do this job anymore, and you can't blame them. But what happens mm -hmm. to the company is that they have to constantly be hiring and training and then hiring again and retraining. And that makes everything suffer, productivity, product quality, um, the customers are upset, costs go up. And so some of those companies have decided that, well, wait a minute, why don't we automate those jobs that people don't want to do anyway? Um, a great example is a company in uh, the west side of, of Michigan called Vickers Engineering. And they faced this problem, and they said, look, we're going to have to automate. We're going to have to invest in robotics because these uh, lower-end jobs, we just can't keep people in them. So they did. They automated, and as a result, their costs came down, productivity went up, quality went up, and they won new business from Toyota. They're, they're an auto supplier, to, um, and they hadn't been able to crack Toyota, but then they did thanks to the automation. And now the uh, president of the company says, you know, I used to say, to our people, I want you to cost justify why we should use a robot. Now he asks his people, I want you to cost justify why we shouldn't use a robot on this project, because he's seen what the benefits have been to the company, and as a result, they have more people now than they did before he bought his first robot. Interesting, and that's, uh, I think, the reality and the fear of losing jobs is, is more just bad press. 
Yeah, I would say a lot of it is uh, misguided headline hunting um, stories that make it seem like, first of all, that the technology is much further along and capable, uh, much more capable uh, in terms of artificial intelligence than, than really it is in the real world. Um, and, and second of all, nobody talks about this idea that um, all of us want to buy the latest iPhone or, you know, television that's got all the bells and whistles and is tremendous quality. And we want to buy it this year for less than we paid for it last time we bought it. And we want it to be a higher quality and more functional. And in order to do that, manufacturing companies have to keep their costs low. And as part of that, to get that quality up, they're going to have to automate. And if they don't, they're not going to win the business from companies like Apple or Samsung or whomever. So there's this element of if you think that we're going to be able to just turn the clock back, we're just going to be able to go back and take out all the machines and just bring back all the people that we had back in the whenever period you think was the peak of manufacturing jobs in the United States, um, that's not going to happen because they're not going to be able to compete. Those companies just are under too many competitive pressures to be able to meet the needs of the consumers. I think the the peak year, I think, was 1996, if I'm not mistaken. And that was during the same period where Bill Clinton was promoting the idea of globalization of industries. So it was really he who started that. And then we had the peak year, and then we lost more and more jobs as we've gone along. But that had more to do with the fact, as you pointed out, that we weren't competitive. Other right. people became more competitive than we were. Right. And those other people were automating then and are automating now as labor price uh, costs have risen in a lot of those countries that uh, we ship jobs to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken, you you can correct me. Uh, are we not the number three country in the world in robotics? That Korea and Germany and China are leading the pack? Well, Japan has traditionally led the pack in terms of the number of robots installed. The U.S. Mm-hmm. is usually number two, but some people would say maybe Germany. But, you know, it's pretty close between us and Germany. But the new number one, the one that's coming on the fastest, and if they're not number one yet, will be very soon, is China. Now, if you stop and think about that, I mean, China's advantage was always that they were a low-cost labor country, right? And a lot of jobs in manufacturing got shipped there primarily for that reason. But as it turns out, the Chinese are facing the same issues that I just described that face small and medium-sized companies in the U.S. They can't get people to do these jobs. The jobs are dull and dangerous and repetitive. Uh, if they get them to do it, they leave, and they've got to go through that whole cycle. And they're being pressured by whomever they're selling their products to to have tremendous quality, uh, high productivity, and deliver quickly. So they realize that in order to do all those things, they have to automate. There's some interesting things about China, uh, about job creation and so on. And over the last 10 years, China went on a construction building spree. 
and they literally had, I mean, full employment and everybody was making a lot of money and we, they pulled people in off of the farms and taught them how to do construction and how to work in the cities and so on. And it, it turns out that they built these cities that, that are now empty. There's no people mm-hmm. living there. Yep. And so I feel as though that they, they knew this intentionally. They put everybody to work. They put money in everybody's pocket. They wanted to create a consumer society, which is you're now hearing more and more about that. And so at some point in time, they'll tear these buildings down. They'll train a whole new group of people on how to tear buildings down. And, uh, you know, it's just and, – and one of the, one of the best things that I, that I ever saw, uh, first time I was in China, I went to the Great Wall, and I bought a, a ticket to go to the top. I took a cable car. I wasn't yeah. walking up the stairs. Yeah. So I, I bought a ticket. The woman gave me the ticket, and she said, give the ticket to lady. So there was a lady outside the ticket booth. So I gave – I took the ticket. I gave the ticket to the lady outside the ticket booth, and she takes the ticket and tears it in half and gives it back to me. And she tells me to give the ticket to the other lady who is standing by the cable car going up the mountain. So I gave her the half a ticket, and she takes that ticket, and she tears it again in half and gives it back to me and says, give it to the lady at the top. So here they had had four people, four people carrying this ticket in half, and they all got paid. (laughs) I was hysterical for 20 minutes. (laughs) Jeff, uh, out of curiosity, I know that Lou has heard and been using the term cobots. Is that something that's coming along as the new vernacular in the industry? It's one of the uh, ways we describe what we call collaborative robots or cobots, um, and these are robots that work side by side with people. This is a, a relatively new development within the last five or six years where instead of putting robots behind fences to keep them away from people, that we've been able to advance the technology to the point where people and robots can work side by side. Okay. I know that we had on the show uh, uh, Rethink Robotics, and they make uh, two, one called Baxter and one called Sawyer. Fascinating. Yes. They do work alongside people. Right. Um, do, they have, do they have different bathrooms for robots and humans? <laughs> 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 yeah, they need, they need to exchange their oil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeff, so how are collaborative robots impacting the workplace? Well, they're starting to have a major impact on the workplace because companies that in the past were resistant to considering automation because of the perceived costs and uh, floor space needed and extra costs due to fencing and safety uh, are now taking another look and saying that, well, if we can just put the robot in next to a person and the robot isn't going to hurt the person and the person's not going to hurt the robot, um, then maybe we ought to be looking at these uh, new classes of robots. So we're starting to see them um, in the workplace, not just here in the U.S., but throughout the world. I heard another term referred to as industrial work assistance, and I presume that that has (laughs) to do with the uh, uh, cobots, uh, where they actually now have a title to them, industrial work assistance, and still giving the human 
aspect of manufacturing a senior position. They're, they're not an assistant. They're the real manufacturing worker. Have you heard that term? You know, I haven't, but um, it, it's a term that could be out there. Um, yeah. You know, the, the, the people certainly are still running the show in factories. Again, this, this idea that the robots are um, somehow capable of doing everything and we don't need people to do anything, um, that's just not the reality in the uh, world that we live in today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, uh, Jeff, I know that when we talked to uh, Rethink Robotics, they were, you know, a fully configured Baxter, I think, was fifty grand, and a, and a Sawyer, which is a smaller robot, was $35,000. Is that about the range of robotics is coming in at, or is it really kind of all over the board, depending on what you need done? Oh, well, um, you know, there's all kinds of robots. There's robots that are the traditional industrial robots that, you know, could be less or more than what you just described, depending on the application. Uh, the collaborative robots, most of them are, you know, maybe in the 25, 30,000 range, I think. Um, but maybe there are some that are less now. And um, I think as what we saw in the industrial robot industry, over time, prices came down. You probably see prices come down in the collaborative space, too. Okay, and so what are some of the limitations of the current technology? I mean, we think that uh, if robots are going to take all these jobs, they must have no limitations, but that's clearly not the case. No, not at all. Um, well, there's the perception issue. You know, people see and touch um, and, you know, make decisions much quicker than a robot would. So one of the challenges in robotics is um, the gripping, uh, you know, the end effector, it's called, on the end of the robot arm that, you know, is used to pick up various products. There still is no end effector out there that can pick up anything. Right. So depending on what you're picking up, you know, you may have this end effector, but then tomorrow you may be working on another product where you have to have a different gripper. So, I mean, that's an issue, but also the ability to see and sense. And, uh, we just we have a long way to go to reach uh, the levels of human perception. And then, of course, you have mobility. Right. So we walk. And uh, most robots are fixed, and you can put it on a mobile base, but then, of course, you have the issues, again, uh, that arise in terms of perception and safety. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, Sawyer Sawyer and Baxter from Rethink Robotics, uh, they are not stationary. Theirs happen to move around, and they've got all kinds of sensors in their hands and their feet and so on. Yeah, uh, I don't think they. I don't think they. Um, the I don't think they move around. You can you know put them on a base, but uh, the, you can move them around. But they're not just on their own. I don't believe moving around the factory. Oh, I, Jeff, I was under. You make, Jeff, you make an interesting point because I've watched videos of humans in this particular case at a uh, Lay's potato chip factory, and as those potato chips come down the line out of the fryer before they go in the bag, there are people there taking out the burnt ones. Right. And that's clearly something that a robot would have difficulty doing because first you have to identify it and generally identify it in advance, not as it passes you. And you have to pick out a potato chip without shattering it. And now you don't have one burnt one. You have, 
57 crumbles of burnt one going into the bag. So I can yeah. see your point about the, the end. What, I'm sorry, what did you call the 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 end, end effector? Paper? Yeah, the, the end, end effector, effect. the gripper, yeah. I mean, depending on the application, the vision system might be able to identify the bad uh, potato chip. But still, people people can do it maybe better, maybe not faster. But again, it depends what you're trying to do. And in terms of the gripping, yeah, the potato chip might be a hard one to grip. But again, this is all application dependent, right? So there are technologies that exist that can find all kinds of products on an assembly line that are the the bad one, and you know, make sure it doesn't get into uh, production. But depending on what your product is, it's it, it could be much more difficult. Oh, I'm sure. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I know that, you know, one of the perceptions, again, back to the perception we're all going to lose our jobs, is that somebody has to program the robot. And it's yeah. not just somebody. I mean, you got lots of robots doing lots of different things. You're going to need lots of technologists to get them to do that. Is that not right? Oh, no, that's definitely right. But there's more than just programming. So there's programming, there's installing, there's maintaining. You know, there's operating. There's all, you know, some by some estimates that for every robot you see, there's, uh, you know, two people at least who were uh, two jobs at least that were created because of all these various assignments. Um, and uh, some of the more interesting jobs have come about because you can use your brains instead of your brawn. So in the, some of the operations that you see robots doing, it used to be a person doing heavy lifting. And um, now the robot can do the heavy lifting, and the person can make sure that the robot is functioning properly and doing some other part of the process. A good example of that is a collaborative robot that was developed by uh, FANUC, F-A-N-U-C. They're the largest industrial robot player in North America. And um, they had this, they're a traditional robot player, so, you know, industrial robots behind fences. But they developed a collaborative application with General Motors where they're handling uh, spare tires. So I went to see this application because I was curious as to what this would look like. I'd seen it in a lab, but I wanted to see it on the factory floor. So what they had was these spare tires, after they're inflated, come down this line. And, they, and General Motors had a person who would take this inflated tire and put it on a cart. And that's what they would do all day. They would stack the cart and then, you know, take the cart somewhere else, right? So they said, here, go ahead and try and lift this tire. So I, I tried to lift this tire off of the off of the line. I could have done right. it once or twice, right? If I had to do that all day, I'd have been in the hospital and you'd been lucky to see me again. But this is what they had this person doing. They had this this woman doing this and they were running into all kinds of issues, obviously ergonomically. That's not the best thing to have anybody doing. But when they brought in this collaborative robot, now the robot took the tire off of the cart. Then the person could be responsible for making sure that the cart got to where it was supposed to be and getting it back. And that was a much more efficient system, and everybody was much happier. That's a perfect application for a collaborative robot. Hence the title, Industrial uh, work assistant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's and they, clearly, and you didn't lose the job. Right. 
And that's what we hope to see as sort of the way that collaborative robots are going here, that let the robot do what it's good at and let the person do what it's good at. And um, this is true not only of collaborative robots, but all types of robots, even the traditional industrial robots. Let them do what they're good at. Let people do what they're good at. Well, that's, a, that's an excellent application. Uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break here, and we're going to be back with uh, Jeff Bernstein, who's president of the Association for Advancing Automation. And during the break, I'm going to give Jeff a heads up here. I love to hear these stories of how they're using robots. So uh, we'll have Jeff give us a couple of more stories on um, how collaborative robots are working in industry. And we'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. American Crane and Equipment Corporation in Douglasville, Pennsylvania, is a leader in specialized cranes, hoists, and material handling equipment for industries including aerospace, nuclear, oil and gas, transit, construction, and waste handling. Call 877-877-6778 or visit AmericanCrane.com. That's AmericanCrane.com or 877-877-6778. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800 800- How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason thomasnet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it, and it's all free. Go to thomasnet.com today and See how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're here with Jeff Bernstein, who's president of the Association for Advancing Automation. We're talking about robots and cobots. And you know, one of the commercials you heard during the commercial break was American Crane and Equipment Handling company, they uh, make uh, cranes and uh, lifting equipment, and in effect, Jeff, are not all cranes really robots? Um, Well, you know, mostly when we're talking about robots, they're uh, some sort of reprogrammable, uh, multifunctional machine. Um, I don't know about those cranes. Um, They're kind of older technology, I think. Um, So they, they probably wouldn't meet our definition. Okay, okay. So give us a couple of examples of that definition of where robotics are being used and whether it's here in the United States or what's happening around the world. 
Well, I mean, you're seeing them in just about every industry now. I mean, Boeing is using robots in aerospace applications. You've got automakers using them to install seats in cars. You've got people uh, using single-arm collaborative robots to unload parts from uh, press brake machines. Um, you have robots being used in drug discovery. Okay, so... You know, think about that one for a minute. So yeah, that's curious. Go into that one for a minute. So traditionally, you have you know some research scientist testing out various uh, drugs to see how quickly they'll work to uh, cure cancer. You know, something. Well, somebody realized that um, we could speed this process up if you use robotics in that loop and they can work all night long and test all kinds of compounds and um, maybe we can get to some cures faster. And that's, that's what's going on in drug discovery. They're, they're finding drugs that work against various illnesses and diseases uh, through the use of robots, not always collaborative robots, but um, robots that are uh, on a smaller scale, you know, not big, heavy machines like you're used to seeing. Another uh, area that we're seeing the use of robots in is a really interesting one, um, warehousing and distribution. So you have these huge warehouses like that Amazon would have right? with all their products that they want to send to you. And these are big spaces to get around. So they've developed robots that can move around these factories or these warehouses, and bring the products to the people rather than have the people running all around and getting them. And um, now they're working on having the robots being able to pick the parts off of the shelves and uh, work together collaboratively with, the, collaboratively with the people. So now you've got really interesting things going on with mobile collaborative robots. So, I mean, that, that's one to watch because Amazon potentially could become – as large a user as a big automotive company. Yes, I'm sure they should. Uh, as as a, an additional uh, thought, Jeff, uh, I've been doing some research on this, and you know they're talking about uh, turning workers into robo workers uh, by using um, augmented uh, human-like tools, for example. Uh, robo gloves and power thumbs and echo skeletons and so on, which uh, is a kind of a, a middle step to going full automation. Do you see this as a an adherence uh, to uh, the robot uh, future, or is it a part of the collaborative uh, experience where? Yes, we'll have robots. Yes, we'll have human-like robots. And yes, we're going to have uh, robot-like enhancements for humans to use. Well, it's hard to know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, it's hard to know exactly what's going to happen in the future. But these exoskeletons in particular, let me talk about that one. So these are really interesting developments because, yes, there are factory applications where if you have to lift something heavy all day, you could put on this suit, which, you know, gives you the ability to lift heavy things all day, right? So that, that's a factory one. But I've seen really cool demonstrations of exoskeletons being used in uh, an environment like a nursing home. 
So you think about wow. the aging population that we have. And one of the shortages is going to be, this is around the world, who's going to take care right. of this baby boom generation when they're older? Um, and you want to, you know, if you've ever been in one of those assisted living homes, you know what those people do. They have to lift the uh, patients up and transfer them to the bed and into the bathtub and the shower, all that. It's a terrible, terrible job, heavy lifting. Uh, people you know, get injured all the time doing this. Not only the the person doing the lifting, but the person who's being lifted. So what if there were these suits that somebody could put on that would give them that ability to lift a heavier load? Um, and that's what's being developed. And I saw demonstrations of that when I was at the uh, Japanese robotic show in Tokyo last November or December. Um, that's really fascinating stuff. Jeff, you have a... Uh a show coming up in April, and as if we came to that show, would we see a lot of robotic automation? Is that what we're likely to see, or is it contain yeah. more than that? I know it's at the McCormick Place. Uh, give us some yeah. information on that. Sure. The show is April 3rd through the 6th of 2017, and it features a tremendous amount of automation, robots and collaborative robots and machine vision systems and all the gripping technology that we talked about and motion control products, um, plant floor communications, all, anything that um, a company would need if they were thinking about automating. And, again, this show is particularly focused on trying to reach – uh, companies who maybe haven't automated yet are trying to think about how do we compete in the global marketplace? How do we take advantage of these technologies? So not only are you seeing the technologies and seeing the companies that provide them, but you're getting uh, – there's training sessions that go on there. There's an in-depth conference. There's free sessions and keynotes. It, it's really, I think, uh, by far the best event in North America for companies that want to automate. Well, that's fascinating. One of the questions I've had, and you, and you somewhat answered it already uh, earlier in the show, was, you know, there's a, 99% of business in the United States is small business. And as we see these advances in technology, I wonder how many of those small businesses are going to be able to throttle up fast enough to survive. Uh, or are they going to become buggy whip manufacturers? It was, uh, you know, one of the Dow 30 back in 1907. It doesn't even exist today. Um, are you seeing a real challenge for the small manufacturer, or is technology like the computer, which you know only the big corporations could afford way back when, going to come down price-wise fast enough that most everybody will be able to have robotics in their house, in their shop? Well, that's a really great question, and that's why we focused on that segment as our primary segment for Automate, the, the trade show and conference. Um, the prices have come down to the point, and it's not just the prices, but it's the ease of use. So in the old days, you know, the the robot might have been 20% of your cost because you had to um, hire uh, firms to integrate the products. And, and, and still many applications, system integrators are essential. But in this collaborative robot arena and also in uh, some of the traditional industrial robot cells, we've made it easier to install so that you don't have to have uh, as many outside resources involved. You don't have to have as many internal uh, resources with, you know, advanced degrees because that was the thing that we were hearing 
from small companies in particular. It's too complicated, too costly, takes too long. We don't have the resources. Um, but that's changing, and that's changing quickly. Let me give you a great example of that. So there's a company in Baltimore called Marlin Steel. And, oh, you know Marlin Steel? Sure. Oh, okay. So you know Drew Greenblatt and his story about how he was about to well, be put out of business? Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, I'd love to hear it from you. Love to hear it All from right. you. Yeah, we've had him on the show. Go ahead. All right. Well, we, we refer to Drew as uh, sort of the poster child for what a small company can do with automating. His challenge was that he was making uh, baskets for uh, bagel stores. And right. um, how good does the quality have to be for a, a bagel store owner? All, all he needs is that the bagel doesn't drop on the floor. Um, and so, you know, Drew had a, a pretty good business that he had acquired there, and uh, all of a sudden, he found out that the Chinese were able to ship the finished basket to his customers for less than it cost him to buy the steel. So right. um, he was going to go out of business or have to go manufacture baskets in China. But what he decided to do was take a chance on investing in robotics and automation. And as a result of that... His productivity went up. The number of people being injured who had been bending all the steel by hand, those injuries dropped to zero. Uh, he found that the quality had improved to the point where, you know, other industries besides bagel shop owners were asking them, hey, Drew, can you make us a basket for holding this expensive uh, part in medical device or, um, you know, in the aerospace industry. And he said, yeah, I, c I can do that, but I'd have to charge you more. And these customers said, well, we don't care. I mean, we're willing to pay a lot more than the bagel shop owner is. And he had his <laughs> eureka moment. He was now in a different industry. As a result of the fact that he had automated, he was able to sell to a whole different customer class. And as a result... His business grew so much that he was able to ultimately hire more people, even though he was paying them 10 times what the Chinese were paying the same worker, and he was providing benefits. But the coup de grace in this story is that he ended up shipping baskets to China, and that was all a result, <laughs> and he'll be the first to tell you, uh, because he automated and that's, that's great. a great, that's a great story. A great example for our listeners to hear. And one of the key points there, as you pointed out, is that Drew discovered that now that he's automated, there are new markets he can sell. And he, and when he sells those new markets, he needs more people to keep up the, the production and oversee quality to hit the new markets. So, again, here's a case where robotics isn't going to eliminate jobs, it's probably going to create more than we can imagine. Do you agree with exactly. that? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It, Drew, um, <clears throat> Drew makes a great point that I always quote. He says, ask somebody how many jobs you would see at Marlin Steel if we hadn't automated. Nobody asked this question. And the answer, <laughs> zero. He says, so when people talk about just job creation, you've got to also factor in the job savings. Right, because we would have had zero, right. but now it's more than that. Because uh, I don't know if you've been to his facility, but it's in sort of a depressed area in Baltimore, and in where I'm from, I'm from the Detroit area. There were a lot of factories that used to be in Detroit that aren't there anymore. Right. And what happens is it's not just the jobs that were inside the factory; it's the jobs that 
companies who were dependent on the factory ended up losing. So if you were a supplier to the factory or if you were a uh, restaurant out around the factory that was depending on the workers eating there or a bowling alley or a you know, dry cleaner, whatever it is, those jobs go away too. So if we could have kept more manufacturing in Detroit, we would have had more jobs overall, not just inside the factories, but overall. Um, and, and that's never factored in when people talk about, well, robots are taking away all these jobs. Well, that's a good point because it does create kind of a community around a factory, and certainly there are a lot of factory communities in Detroit and Ohio and Indiana who would quickly point out that when they lost the factory, they lost the town. Yep, that's right. So now that we've got robotics uh, coming along, I, I'm very excited about it because I, I see in, like, Gru's case, uh, he was telling me about one of his workers who bent the metal wire for the basket that he was making for the bagel stores, and this guy could have played in the NFL almost anywhere. <laughs> he was just, he'd become a behemoth of a person because he bent hard wire all day long by hand. Right, tough, right. Tough work. So, yeah, I mean, uh, who would want to do that? Yeah, after a while, that gets a little dull. Huh? Yeah, right. <laughs> so let me let me ask you, Jeff. Uh, I mean, we're we're really still in the infancy stages of robotics, even though it's been around since uh, Marvel Comics and uh, Star Trek. Uh, where where is it going? Uh, I mean, are are we at near uh, capacity on the uh, in, in the intellect of robotics, uh, or are we still 50 years away from reaching the optimum uh, uh, level of either artificial intelligence or robotics or what have you? Well, um, Joe Engelberger, who was the, the founder of the robotics industry and was the person who uh, created the first robot company called Unimation that was um, installed the first robot at a GM plant in 1961. He used to tell me, uh, if you're going to make a prediction, make sure you make it far enough out into the future that you won't be alive <laughs> to see the results. So I, I, I kind of adhere to that philosophy. You know, so I'm not going to tell you that in 30 years we're going to reach the peak. Uh, and the reason is because I've been in this uh, business over 30 years. So I've seen all these wild predictions about how fast robots were going to develop and artificial intelligence and job loss and all these things I've been hearing for 30 years. So for me, 30 years, we haven't seen that great of an advance in the industry. Now, things are changing. The technology is improving. Artificial intelligence clearly is improving. But artificial intelligence still is not to a point where it matches human intelligence. Mm -hmm. at, at what point is that going to happen, and what are the implications of that? Well, I, I don't know. You know, mm -hmm. at, at some point, obviously, uh, machines are going to be able to do a lot more than they're doing now. But this is good because, I mean, again, think about um, – you know this IBM Watson. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but this is an artificial yeah. intelligence program that, um, right. you know, beat the Jeopardy contestant. And but but think about what it's doing now. They're they're using it in medical uh, applications where it works with a doctor. So doctors don't have time to go through all the literature. And let's say you're uh, again, let's use cancer. Your job is to try and develop 
cures for cancer, work with people who have cancer. There's all this medical literature out there. They don't have time, but maybe the robot can go through and do all that research for them and consult with the doctor and say, all right, uh, this is what I've learned in all this research. And then the doctor uses what he can apply and say, all right, based on the research, I think we ought to try this course of uh, medicine or whatever. There's a lot of advances here. I hope I don't get cancer. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't. I don't want a robot doing the diagnosis. <laughs> the robot wouldn't do the diagnosis. That's the idea. That there's I, I so much. There's so much information that doctors need that they don't have the time to find on their own. Right. And you're trusting them. It'd be great if they could call on a resource that had done the research. And again, we're talking about a software program that would provide resources uh, to the doctors. That's the that's mm-hmm. the model that IBM Watson is looking at enabling the doctor in, in that sense it's a form of a collaborative robot right this is mm-hmm. sure. robot artificial intelligence working with people but it's the people who are going to be working with other people um, to help design their treatment programs so Jeff a, uh, a, you probably would agree with me that artificial intelligence and robotics will match human skills somewhere around 2070 or 2080 <laughs> Yeah, that's it. You got it. <laughs> I, I have to tell you, Jeff, I have to tell you, we have a lot of guests on our show. And those that we ask the question about futures, they are all very clever about ducking and weaving and not giving us <laughs> forecasts. But right, let me tell you why. Let, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why they're clever about ducking. Um, because if I would have asked you 20 years ago, um, yeah. What kind of job is a uh, app developer for an iPhone or a social media specialist um, or a, a, a website know. SEO? <laughs> right, exactly. But these jobs didn't exist, and that's another part of the issue with robots and jobs. Robots enable mm-hmm. a lot of these jobs to come along. They enable a lot of uh, products to be made better so that, therefore, you have new platforms to develop applications for. But nobody talks about that all they talk about is what they see today well a robot can pick up this part the person used to pick up the part so therefore all these jobs are going to be lost what about the new jobs we can't even imagine that are going to be created and there's millions of of them yeah of course and you know one of the things that uh you know i i think about we haven't actually spoken about it specifically in this show but the 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 buyer of uh robotics should most definitely be looking at ROI. What's their return on that investment, and how long will it take? You can you can buy a uh, a Baxter or a Sawyer, and you've got an ROI in less than a year, and then you've got that machine for God knows how long. So I, I think that those in the audience uh, who are listening today, you have to think in terms of. Yeah, it's really not the right time to go borrow $35,000 from the bank. But you don't you can work that machine 24/7. You get 10 times the amount of use out of it compared to a human. Um there there's one company in Massachusetts in uh Canada that I've visited that makes gear blanks and they make huge gear blanks, 8500 inch diameter. And they have a machine that they set they set this uh, forged ring on the gear blank robot, if you will, 
and uh, they turn out the lights, go home, and the next morning the gear is finished. Teeth mm-hmm. are been all machined in it, and here they've got a quarter of a million dollar piece of uh, machinery that they made overnight with no human interference. So there, there is still uh, that heavy industry aspect that really could benefit significantly from uh, robotics. Yeah, I think that's a good point, and I think you know that's uh, one way of looking at the ROI. And there are other issues that should be factored in too. You know, going back to the um, example of the guy bending the metal, um, and yeah. you know the injuries that that can cause, and the ergonomic sure. issues. You want to look at that as well, and the the positive impact that bringing in automation can have on the people, removing them from those mm-hmm. dangerous jobs. Because um, sure. we like to make sure that we're, we're keeping the focus on not just the automation, but the people and the impacts on the people. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. Jeff, well, before we wrap up this segment, I'd like you to share with our listeners how they can get a hold of um, your organization or become a member of it, what's your website, where can they get uh, additional information, Jeff? Yeah, the best way would probably be to go to our website, uh, a3automate.org, and there you can download our white paper on uh, the impact of robots on jobs, and you can learn about our upcoming events, and you can learn how to join our uh, three associations, one on robotics and one on machine vision and um, another one on motion control and motors. Um, combined, we represent right now about 940 companies, and uh, it's growing. We're a global trade group, and we'd love to have your listeners uh, turn to us for information and resources and leading events in the industry and uh, hopefully get involved. And they can also pick up the phone. Call us the old-fashioned way. It's 734-994-6088. And just real quickly, uh, because you mentioned the machine vision, which we hadn't heard, and that's uh, probably a new subject for us. What is machine vision? Well, there you have cameras looking at products and computers analyzing the image. That's uh, what many of the uh, applications are. So, for instance, let's say you had a uh, baby food jar and you wanted to know if there was glass in it. The machine vision system might tell you. Or if you had a pharmaceutical vial and you wanted to know if the label was on correctly or uh, all the information was there. Or a Coke can, was that uh, was the you know ring on properly? So every industry needs inspection and analysis, and uh, vision is essential in, in a lot of those areas, inspecting the, the, the boards in the electronics industry, you know, the semiconductor boards. So there's a million applications for machine vision, and we have a, a whole association just for that. Well, that's, that's fascinating stuff. Again, anybody who wants to uh, check in on that, uh, it's a3automate.org. We've been talking with Jeff Bernstein. President of the Association for Advancing Automation. Jeff, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thank you, Jeff. We did, too. And, Lou, you've got a couple of comments on next week's show. We've got some interesting things coming up. Yeah, we do. Uh, We have Jane Anderton, Content uh, Director for uh, Engineering.com, who is going to be talking about and uh, taking a look at the state of the machine tool industry in this country which used to be a, uh, we used to be the leader in the world. Uh, now we have, uh, we're in third place behind 
Japan and Germany, and um, he's going to talk about how uh, how the U.S. government could help. Did they help? Should they help? Will they help? <laughs> probably, when probably not. But it should be an interesting conversation. And frankly, um, I've been in, uh, in in manufacturing for over 50 years. And the machine tool industry numbers, which comes out every month, was a leading, leading indicator for all manufacturing in this country, where it, whatever the number was, if it went up, that means things were going to be terrific in manufacturing in six to nine months. If it went down, um, it's time to sell the farm and uh, move on, because in six to nine months, things are going down. So it should be a very interesting conversation, and I personally am very interested in having a conversation with him because I've been following these numbers now, like I said, not years, but decades. Well, we've been having a great conversation with Jeff Bernstein. You just heard from uh, Lou Weiss, who is the sponsor with his company, All Metals and Forge Group of Manufacturing Talk Radio. My name is Tim Grady. We will be back again with you next week. To talk about another interesting subject in between now and then, you might want to check out our website, mfgtalkradio.com. We have a number of hot articles that hit that website almost on a daily basis to tell people what's happening in manufacturing. Be sure to check out the uh, articles on mfgtalkradio.com, and we'll speak with you again next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.